Well, good morning. I don't know if you've seen that little video, that little movie. It's called Paul Blart Mall Cop. And uh, if you have a, a bit of time, it is well worth the, uh, the time to watch that, that movie. It's, it's hilarious. You'll, you'll find yourself laughing probably more after you think about it for a while. Uh, but it's a, it's a good thing to do. My name is Brian Robertson, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and I'm lead pastor here at Crossroads. And if you think about a time when you were the first day on a job, uh, it may seem overwhelming. It may seem kind of things get out of control real quickly. Or first day on a job, new, new job, you train, transferred for another place. Or maybe it was the first day at school or something else that just kind of overwhelmed you really, really quickly. It could be pretty, pretty overwhelming if you think about it. And you need someone to kind of come alongside us, someone to kind of walk with us, someone to teach us the ropes, someone kind of like Paul Blart or... Maybe not so much like Paul Blart, but we need someone to kind of teach us what's going on. And that's, that same principle is true in all sorts of areas of our life, whether it's school or it's work or it's sports or it's music or we're learning a new trade or we're learning something else. We need someone to be our teacher. We need someone to be our leader. We need someone to kind of mentor us or walk alongside us. And there are some of us, for a whole host of reasons, who kind of reject the help of someone else when, they, when you first come into a first or your first day on a new job. You reject the, the teacher or their help to come alongside to show you what's going on for a whole host of reasons. You just want to try it on your own. You think you've got it mastered well enough, or maybe you haven't been, you've been on the job for a little while. You should have known it already, so you're kind of embarrassed to ask for that help again or all that. There are a whole host of reasons why people can kind of shove aside the help or, or someone to come alongside and teach us or to be kind of our, our helper along the way. And the truth is, if we do this in whatever aspect of our life, whether it's music or teaching or, or, or writing or a job or whatever it is, we can find ourselves in a world of trouble, scrambling to figure out the right things to say, the right things to do, the right places to go, if we just would re- recognize we need someone's help, we need someone's leadership, we need someone's teaching to lead us along the right direction. And the gospel, the good news that Jesus came proclaiming was that the, the kingdom of God was bursting available for all who would put their confidence and their trust in Jesus. That the gospel is clearly this good news that life with God is made available to anyone and everyone who would put their trust and their confidence in Jesus. But more than to proclaim forgiveness and interest, entrance into heaven when we die, Jesus invites us to receive him as our teacher, to learn from him how it is that we can live this eternal life right here and right now, to be kind of as his students or as his apprentices. He invites us to see him not just as one who takes care of our sin problem, but one who invades our whole life and leads our whole things, reprioritizes everything, restructures all things. And this is good news, for he has come to teach us. He's come to lead us. He's come to be our master, our Lord, our King. In Mark's gospel, the very first chapter, Jesus proclaims it this way. He says that Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news that the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near, he says. Or other translations say that it is at hand. It is right here. It is among you. It is closer than you can imagine. It's right here. Repent and believe. Turn and believe this news, that this life with God is available to you right now. 
Later in Matthew's gospel, in the 11th chapter, Jesus is talking to people and he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The greatest invitation that Jesus has for us is first to recognize that the kingdom of God, the life with God is made available to us, and secondly, to see him as our great teacher of how to live within that kingdom, how to live within that realm, within that reality. How is it that we can live and, uh, and breathe and move in that reality, not in our own? He invites us to be his students. He invites us to be his disciples. Or in the language of the New Testament, he invites us to be his apprentices. To learn from him how to live our life in this eternal life that he calls the kingdom of God. And we need this. We desperately need someone to be our leader to teach us how it is that we can do this. Because we've lived much of our life in our self-governing world where we are the boss, where we say what we're going to do and we have got control. And we need someone to demonstrate not only who God is, but what humanity can become. And Jesus' greatest invitation to you and to me is to be our Lord, to be our King, to be our ruler, to be our Mad, our, our Messiah, the one to lead us, to be our rabbi, our teacher, to lead us in a new way of living, to teach us how it is that we are to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And this morning we start a brand new series here in the fall. We're going to take four weeks and look at the, the mission statement that we have before us. This clear, dis- distinct calling on our church what does it look like for us to be and we're calling this series who we are because we have this succinct statement that we believe god has given us to to be about what is it that we are to be about what are the things that we are to to spend much of our time thinking on praying on and learning how to do and there are four key phrases in our mission statement so we're going to take four weeks leaning up into this fall here understanding who it is that we are And the four key statements are simply this, that we are a church that are inviting people to apprenticeship to Jesus. And we are learning to live by faith, to transmit hope, and be known by love. And without regularly coming back to this mission statement, on just on a periodical, regular time, kind of of get back to it, without getting back to it, it'd be really easy for us to kind of get busy spinning our wheels, doing a whole host of other things, really good things possibly, but... Maybe not exactly what God has called us to do, particularly at this time in this place. So this morning we're going to take a look at just that first phrase. The first phrase of that we are a church that is inviting people to apprenticeship to Jesus. To have him be our leader. To have him be our rabbi, our teacher, our leader. That we are his students. And we are inviting people, all walks of life, all walks of the journey of faith, to apprenticeship to Jesus. So as we get going this morning, let's pray together. Father, Son, Spirit, we pray that you would have your way in our lives today. That you would give us clarity to what we mean by these phrases in our mission statement. Would you give us boldness to lead into this statement and into this calling that you have on us uh, with ever-enduring patience and uh, help us to do it with, uh, with boldness and courage. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, when Jesus was walking, it was pretty easy and fairly common for people to understand what he meant by when he understand this, he called people to be his disciples. It was pretty straightforward, actually. It meant that you left your old life, left whatever you were doing, and you went and followed this new rabbi, this new teacher, to be his disciple, to learn from him what he did, what he taught, how he did it, and to try and understand everything that he was doing, to be with him, to literally leave what you were doing, willingly leave what you were doing, what you were about, and to submit yourself to his leadership, to go where he went, to do what he was doing. It was pretty straightforward and simple. And today, some thousands of years later, as apprentices to Jesus, it's, while it's a little bit different because we can't physically be walking near and hearing him and teach and, and to eat the food and to have the late night conversations, while it's a little bit different, the concept is really pretty much the same. That we are to leave what we have known before and to willingly submit ourselves to his leadership, to understand how he sees the world, to reorientate our whole perspective and our priorities onto what he sees and to what, how he understands the world. To eventually see what he's doing, to understand how he's teaching and what he does, to eventually take up his cause ourselves and to further his ministry as his representatives. This is what it means to be an apprentice. This is what it means to be a disciple. That we not only walk, that we not only learn, but eventually we take up the ministry of our rabbi, of our teacher, of our leader, and we are his representatives. We are his hands, his feet. We walk and we are breathing representations of Christ himself. So this morning when we hear this invitation to become apprentices to Jesus, we are saying that we are asking people to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to become increasingly more like him in our character, so that when we live and move and walk and speak, we are doing it as, a, as an accurate reflection and representation of Christ himself, so that when people see us, they don't see just our action and our words, but they begin to see Christ's actions and Christ's words, that we begin to learn from him a new way of being. Jesus' invitation for you and I to be apprentices and our ministry calling as a church to invite people to apprenticeship to Jesus means that we are inviting people to learn from Christ how to live this new life that's been available through him. This new life, this eternal life in the kingdom of God. Learning how to live right now in preparation for eternity to come. And here's the truth that ought to grip us at our core. You and I are never ceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's good universe. You and I are never ceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's good universe. How might that truth impact the way you live today? What you're doing, the priorities that you have, the ways in which you see things. Story is said of Hall of Fame and baseball legend Mickey Mantle that when he was dying of diseases brought on by a life of heavy drinking, he said that he would have taken better care of himself if he knew how long he was going to live. That provides an interesting perspective on our life. How should we take care of ourselves in light of the truth that we are never ceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's good universe? How is it that we take care of ourselves right now how is it that we're taking care of our souls our spiritual life and understanding how to live this life right now 
Am I learning to live my life with this truth before me, that I am a never-ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's good universe? And if I have that perspective that I am going to live for the rest of eternity, then I would make sense that I would le- seek to learn to how to live this life the best way, the most eternal way, the way that's going to last with abundance and fruitfulness. And I simply want us to see this morning that Jesus is the most brilliant, masterful person to ever have lived. He is the authority on eternity, and he is the authority on eternal life and eternal living. How to live the most abundant, fruitful, life-giving way can only be seen through Jesus. And the way in which he invites us to live is attainable to each one of us, that you and I actually can become more and more, increasingly more like him. That life in God's kingdom is available to us. This is good news. And what's even better news is that we're not left alone scrambling in the dark to try and find our way, but Jesus has come to be our leader, our teacher, our master, our Lord. And that we can learn from him how to take up a new life. As we humbly submit ourselves to his kingship, to his lordship and his leadership, he will teach us and show us new priorities, new ways of living, new ways of speaking, new ways of being with each other. This is what we mean when we say we are inviting people to apprenticeship to Jesus, that we are learning to live our lives in the way of Jesus. Our everyday, ordinary lives, the way we speak, the way we talk, the way we forgive, the way in which we work, we're learning to live all of our life in the way of Jesus. We believe that this is available to us. But unfortunately for many people, they've lived their whole Christian life and they see Jesus as kind of this philosophical teacher, this religious leader that's got some nice things to say out there, but really much of what he says, much of what he talks about, much of the kind of character transformation just seems irrelevant, just seems like it's unattainable for most of us. But we have to come to grips with this truth that Jesus, his intent with all of his teaching and all of the teaching in the Newer Testament, in fact, is that we can indeed learn to do this new life, that we can indeed learn to trust and learn to live this new way of living there is no commandment that you and i are given in all the scriptures that we cannot learn how to do there's no commandment in all the scriptures that we are given that you and i cannot learn to do but we cannot learn how to do it outside the grace of god and somehow in god's masterful plan he brings his grace to teach us to live a new way of life under the leadership of jesus Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' last words to his disciples before his ascension, he says that with these new disciples were to go and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and to teach these new disciples to obey everything he has commanded them. And remember that he is with them always, even to the very end of the age. This is apprenticeship to Jesus, to invite people to walk so closely to Jesus, to watch how he lives, to see what he does, how he teaches, how he responds, to learn to live our lives in the way of Jesus, to learn to respond the way Jesus would respond if he were in our situation, and to experience the transformation of our character, to be in line more with Christ's character. This is our job. 
Our job is to first experience this transformation ourselves, this reorientation of our lives in, under the leadership of Jesus ourselves, but then also to teach others the way of Christ. Not simply to teach others about forgiveness, but to bring people and to invite them to apprenticeship to Jesus. To become a certain kind of person whose priorities and whose life reflects that of Christ. This is what the early disciples understood of apprenticeship. And this is exactly what Jesus came proclaiming and demonstrating. But for so many people in the Christian world and in the Christian subculture, this apprenticeship seems really difficult. And people can live their entire life following Christ or their entire Christian life and really see very little progression in the aspect of becoming an apprentice to Jesus. And yet, apprenticeship to Jesus is central to the gospel and it is central to our mission statement. So why is it difficult for so many people? Why is it hard for people to get around, get their mind around? Well, it might have something to do with what author Gary Moon has described as two different stories about a relationship with God. That two different stories have kind of dominated Christian thinking for some period of time. And the first story kind of goes like this, that God creates everything, sets it all up, and places human beings in this garden. And one day this woman, who's kind of influenced by a serpent, tricks the man into eating the fruit, and, she, and God becomes angry with them and curses them, and he banishes them out of the garden, never to see them again. And all of creation is under this curse And through thousands of years, God is kind of stewing in his own anger, and he writes down some instructions. He tells them what to do. He sends an an occasional plague or a flood to kind of keep people in line, but ultimately it just doesn't work. People will not stay in line. They're they're not behaving properly. And when he can't take it anymore, he he kind of sends his son to be tortured and, and murdered. And while there's a whole host of reasons or ideas of why God's son had to die, this somehow caused God to feel a little bit better about the situation and helped him decide that if anyone would hear about what Jesus did and decide that they believed that what he had done had somehow canceled out their sin, that they would be forgiven and live forever. But anyone who didn't hear what Jesus had done or didn't say a prayer or didn't do anything that they were supposed to do, then, well, they would be eternally banished in this place of eternal torture and flames and fiery hell. That's story number one. And for many of us, this is the story that we grew up with. This scowling, angry God because of our rebellion and this God who seeks to bring out wrath more than anything else. That's story number one. But story number two begins with God existing in an eternal, loving, trinity community, triune community. And out of such community, God begins to create the universe and places humanity at its center. And then he does something even more amazing than that. He places a part of himself in the hearts of humankind themselves. And under his watchful eyes, these these two creatures begin to grow up and they begin to become people who would become as much like God as possible. And they're to join in with God's ongoing work in this universe. But they make a fatal mistake. They decide that they can live unplugged from God and unplugged from the tree of life. And they can actually become God themselves and so they rebel. And while God's not surprised by this, he saw it coming, he knew what was going to happen. He's not overly, bitterly angry. He's more sad at the separation and the way in which free will is going to play out. And so he works 
his plan into, into action, and he begins to set a, in motion a series of plans to draw people back to himself, draw people back to the life that he had created them for, never giving up on the original plan. Through thousands of years, he sends letters and people, and God is the prodigal father ever wanting for people to come home, ever wanting children to come home. He sends prophets with this message that the inheritance is still there. It's waiting for you. The inheritance is still true. Come back to the Father. Turn back to the ways in which you were created. God wants us to be with him. He can teach us how to live the most abundant. But it becomes clear after thousands of years that people won't come home for any longer than a short visit. So God can't really take any longer. So he empties himself out of any divine dignity. He comes alongside human kindness as his prodigal children. He comes near as much as, as close to them as he possibly can so that we can learn from him and see him and know him again. And Jesus brings this good news that life in the kingdom of God has been opened to us again. That we can experience this joy of relationship, of fellowship, of community. And then Jesus takes upon himself death and the separation that was ours, showing us that through the crucifixion what it looks like for someone to willingly, freely die for another. And then he demonstrates through his resurrection that he knows what he's talking about. And he sends the Holy Spirit to empower us that we can live our life relationally with God and experience the goodness of God. Well, that's story number two. That's story number two. And whichever story you have heard, story number one or story number two, whichever story has dominated your thoughts about who God is will correlate with your approach to your Christian life. Whichever story has dominated your thought will, will correlate to your approach to the Christian life. See, if I envision God as a wrathful being, the last thing I want to do is to be with him. I mean, I may want forgiveness from him, but I don't want to be with him. I don't want to be near him. I don't want to learn from him. I don't want to spend any more time with him other than just to be getting my quick forgiveness. And life with God is seen as being restrictive and, and suffocating unrelated to any of my everyday life. I just need to get forgiveness. This is if I envision God as a wrathful God. But if I envision God as a God who created and desires relationship and has done everything for restored communion, then I'm no longer concerned about trying to keep God off my back. And I'm more interested in learning how to be with and learn how to be near him. I want to draw closer to him. For many, the first story is what dominates much of our thought about God, about church, about the Christian life. Just try your very best to just not tick God off more than he already is. Try to keep him off your back as much as you can. And really, that kind of perspective sees very little change in our actual character of who we actually are. But this morning, as we start this series about understanding who we are as a church can I invite you to a different view? Can I invite you to a view that is consistent with story number two, consistent with all the scriptures, both Older Testament and Newer Testament, where you see God as one for you, not against you, where God's great desire is that you would learn how to live the most abundant, eternal, life-giving way right here and right now, that we would learn to put our own priorities and our things, our own agendas aside, and we would learn to experience a transformation of our heart because we are drawing closer to the one who has made us in his image and desires us to live the way that we could, were created to live. 
And when we begin to see life that way, we will actually begin to live the life we were wanting to live all along, the life we were created for. And that life will live forever. For we are never ceasing spiritual beings with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. And we are enthralled with this second story. God as the prodigal father desiring and working for the restoration of our relationship. And everything we do is, is geared around to invite people to see and understand God from this perspective and invite them into an apprenticeship relationship with Jesus. To learn how to do our life in the way of Jesus. To learn how to do our life in the way that Jesus would do our life if he were living our life. Author Gary Moon, he writes it this way in his book, Apprenticeship with Jesus. He says this, The central teachings of Jesus underscore God's invitation for us to leave our natural habitat, the world of self-rule, and enter into a whole new realm of existence, the kingdom of God rule. Jesus was describing an interactive friendship with Interactive friendship and obedience to Christ in which we gradually learn to be more like him by being with him. Learning how to stay as close to Christ as branches are to their vine. This is what we mean when we say our goal and our mission statement as a church is to invite people to apprenticeship to Jesus. To become so close to them. So, so close to Christ that we are learning how to stay near him so that we gradually learn how to do our life the way Jesus would do it. Helping people to be apprentices to Jesus. And we believe that apprentices will be learning to live by faith, will be transmitting hope, and will be known by love. And we'll get to those in the next couple weeks. But we are absolutely head over heels fanatical about Jesus. We are absolutely convinced, and I become more convinced the longer I study and and be near Christ, that he really does know what he's talking about. And his ways really are better than my ways. And his forgiveness really is sweet. And he has much forgiveness for my shortcomings, but he can well prepare me to live my life right here now and into the rest of eternity. So over the next few months and years to come, you're going to hear much about apprenticeship to Jesus. That Jesus definitely has a lot to say about how we live and how we love and how we experience relationship and true community and and forgiveness and how we is that we are to do this life and how we are to live this life abundantly right here and now. As Jesus as our King, Leader, Lord, Teacher. This is what we're about. But how does that really work out in, in everyday life? I mean, it's a nice thing. It's nice to put up on the wall, and that's a nice little deal there. But what does that really mean? When we say apprenticeship and all this stuff, what does that look like in the nitty-gritty daily life of Crossroads? And one of the key ways in which we want to help people become apprentices to Jesus is that we want to study Jesus. And we want to expect the life and the teachings of Jesus to be extremely relevant to our life right here and now. In fact, our next series after this one is going to be called Following Jesus at Work, where we learn from Jesus how it is that we are to approach our everyday working life in the way of Jesus. We're going to seek to be as faithful to Christ as we possibly can as we learn to apprentice ourselves to Jesus, that he could live our life and he could be in our situation at our place of work and he could do it in the most abundant way. And so we're going to seek to study and to learn from Christ how it is that we can live our life.
Another way in which apprenticeship is central to our mission statement is that we're going to organize groups around this notion of apprenticeship, expecting to see how the way of Christ can be integrated into our everyday living. Not just some studies that we do on Sunday or a study that we might do on a Wednesday, but how we can actually see the teachings of Christ integrated into our everyday living. Things you'll be hearing about in the next few weeks are, are, our, are our apprenticeship courses. Eight-week courses designed to help people move past the intellectual discussion about who Christ is, and, but to actually move into how that can integrate into our everyday living and, and help us along the way. Pastor Jake has mentioned already the life groups and the places you can get plugged in and sign up for a life group even this morning and plug in and have someone walk alongside with you. And so I'd, pre- I'd encourage you to do that as well. But key to these apprenticeship courses or life groups or anything else is also going to be this role of a spiritual companion. Because much of following Christ and much of the path of apprenticeship is not always easy. It's not always clear cut for us. And we need others to walk alongside us, to help teach us, to ask good questions, to push beyond the surface level stuff and help us to really integrate what we know about Christ into our everyday living. And so you're going to hear and, and see ways in which we might invite each other to a spiritual companionship where we can walk alongside each other as we do this life. One of the hopes that is stirring up around Crossroads these days is that we would be a place where people are hung- who are hungry for more in their life with Christ, more than what this world offers, would find a place of authenticity, find a place where they can walk with Christ and they can experiment and integrate the teachings of Christ into their everyday living and experience the transformation of their character to become more and more like Christ. That they would be willingly submit themselves to the leadership and the lordship of Christ and that they would see this new life that God has offered them as abundant, fruitful, and the best life possible and the most eternal life possible. We're inviting people as a church body, we're inviting people to apprenticeship to Jesus, to be enthralled with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, to seek to orient our life, to reprioritize our life under the leadership and to learn to live in the way of Jesus. Everything under the leadership of him. And it's fitting for us this morning to come to the Lord's table this morning, to end the service this morning, reminding ourselves that all that we do is because of the grace of God. That while there's no commandment in the scriptures that we cannot learn how to do, we cannot learn how to do them apart from the grace of God. And it is because of Christ and because of his life, his death, his teaching, and his resurrection that we have life abundant. We have a new identity that we can be apprentices to Jesus. And we practice open communion at Crossroads, which basically means if you are a follower of Christ, we invite you to share in this meal with us. In a few moments, you'll be dismissed from the backs of your sections. You come to the right of your section, come up. There'll be four stations up here, and you can either take the bread and the juice, and you can eat them here, uh, or you can take them back and kind of circle around your section and spend some time uh, in your chairs just kind of re- reflecting on the importance and the sacredness of the meal and you can take it back there at your leisure. Some of you may be coming with some kind of a a burden or some kind of an issue that kind of is weighing heavily on you and I invite you to remind you that there are uh, there's a prayer alcove on this side of the worship center and if you feel like you just need to spend some time with with God in prayer uh, at any time during the communion time you're welcome to go over there. 
In addition, there'll be some people on our, from our prayer team on this side of the worship center. If you have a prayer need or something that needs uh, a specific prayer for and you'd like us to pray with you, to lay our hands on you, to anoint you with oil, uh, we'd be more than glad to do that as well. It's good for us as we approach this communion table this morning to be reminded of the sacredness of this meal, that it is because of God's grace that we are invited to this life with Him. It's because of His grace, because of His outpouring of love that we have the ability to be His apprentices, His sons, His daughters. So as we do this, it's good for us to have a moment of silent reflection. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, quiet your hearts, and just take a few moments to just remember the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In a few moments, I'll invite you to into the liturgy that we'll use for communion. Those who are serving you can come and get ready at this time, and we'll continue to go. Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place, and that you would give us the courage to be your apprentices, to willingly submit ourselves to your leadership, that we would be uh, honest enough to look at ourselves in ways in which we need uh, your new life in us, your work of transformation in our hearts to become accurate representations of who you are. So Father, help us to be this not only individually, but give us the ability to invite others along this road of apprenticeship too. Pray that our church, Father, would be a place of healing, a place of hope, and a place where people might come to know you in greater, more substantial ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Before you leave this morning, uh, we thought it would be a good thing as we've been talking through and we will be talking these four key aspects of our mission statement. Our mission statement is that, and so we thought it would be good for us to just simply kind of get this in our bones and in our minds and in our thoughts and our feelings. So we're going to say this together, uh, and so if you would just follow along on the screens here, inviting people to apprenticeship to Jesus. Learning to live by faith, transmit hope, and be known by love. Thanks for coming this morning, guys.